Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? Welcome to the podcast we're calling Grandpa Talks Deep. Where we engage in intergenerational conversations on important issues of our time. You should know this is all Emily's oh, fault. Of course it is. It stems from a family vacation from about five years ago. We were on our annual family vacation in Lewis, Delaware. For those of you who aren't familiar with Delaware, which I'm assuming is most of our listeners, Lewis lies on the point where the Delaware Bay meets the Atlantic Ocean. We stay on the bay side of town, where the waves are barely half a foot tall and the water is always calm. It was a hot, sunny day, the kind that just seems to bake the sand with not a cloud in the sky. What I remember is that you and your cousins were just offshore fooling around on a paddleboard. What I remember is we were having a light conversation on a paddleboard. We were enjoying the water and the breeze and each other's company. And all of a sudden, Grandpa comes swimming up to the edge of our paddleboard and pops into the center of the conversation. I was delighted to join Emily and her cousins. I started asking questions about school, their courses, and what they wanted to do with the rest of their lives. My whole life? Oh, my huh. God. I have an agenda to nudge Emily towards being a Jewish professional. It only was a few minutes, right, Emily? I could not believe that Grandpa had turned our light vacation conversation into a purpose of life conversation that was really starting to stress me out. It was only a minute, and I didn't really think anything about it until about an hour later as I was walking down the beach. Emily's dad, our son Marcus, and his wife, Rachel, saw me coming and they began laughing. What's so funny, I asked. They chuckled as they told me. You should know that Emily, when she came out of the water, asked us. Why does Grandpa always go deep when he talks? It has been about five years now, and I have increasingly embraced that mantle. I do want to be the Grandpa who always talks deep. Okay, so let's put all of this in context for a second. Grandpa. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? My story will be much shorter, obviously, so why don't we start with you? Me? Well, I'm a bit of an old man, 77 years old, and I've always been a troublemaker in my life. Troublemaker. I started my career way back in 1970 as one of the first people ever to work for Ralph Nader. Who is that? Oh, okay. So, like, I know who that is, but I'm just asking on behalf of everyone in my generation who probably does not know who Ralph Nader is. Ah, uh, yes, I forget. Well, Ralph Nader is a man who changed the world. The whole world? Yes, the whole world eventually was impacted. Most people knew him from his book about making automobiles or cars safe. It was called Unsafe at Any Speed. He became known as a consumer advocate a role that really wasn't talked about in America, at least not that way. The term used to be muckracker. So to confirm, muckrackers were journalists and authors in the late 1800s who exposed bad things in society and business and government and all that, right? Something like that, yes. 
His impact has been huge. At first, it was most notable around his advocacy that challenged how cars were made. For the longest time, cars were made to look cool, and people were supposed to buy a brand new car every year or two. Safety wasn't much of a concern. In fact, the car makers usually blamed the driver for any accident. Ralph Nader changed all of that. That's really funny because I feel like today, automakers, like they're always airing commercials that are like, our cars are like so much safer than our competitors' cars. So I think it's crazy that like they used to not care about it at all. Like that's wild. And, you know, that's amazing. That's a big sign of his advocacy and his impact on the world. And he took that same advocacy, and now there's a Consumer Product Safety Commission that works to keep all products safe. It has been a huge change in business and in the American society, and it saved millions of lives. So I can assume that at first, the car companies probably weren't too happy about all this. They were not happy. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. In fact... General Motors hired people to follow Ralph Nader and tried to discredit him. He sued, got a settlement, and used that money to start a new law firm made up of brand new law graduates to work on making the government better for people. I was one of those first people to be hired. It is how we, your grandmother and I, ended up coming from Texas to Washington, D.C., and we've been living here ever since. Well, I had a detour to spend four years in the Army. I have spent most of my career working with and around Ralph Nader. Now, Ralph did run for president a few times. Many people remember in 2000 when he got a lot of votes, mainly in Florida. Many people blame him for when then-Vice President Al Gore lost to George Bush. Well, I mean, what do you think about that? People need to do what their heart tells them to do. Yes, we need to be smart about it. And sometimes we just have to do what our heart tells us to do. That's Ralph. I went on to have a public affairs firm in Washington that worked to bring public interest groups and companies together, something that occasionally got me in trouble with some of my old Nader colleagues. Not everyone liked working with corporations. I did that kind of work for a long time, and to everyone's surprise, including mine, I've ended up writing a play and a book about my own journey as a care partner. I like to say love partner with your grandma when she went through breast cancer. It's about what love and life really means. Oh dear, there I go, (laughs) going deep again. Well, I could go on forever. Well, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me stop and let's hear a little bit about you. Alrighty then. Well, I'm 19 and I'm a sophomore at the University of Delaware. I entered UD as an undecided major, and I tentatively declared a double major in public policy and international relations, but I'm like kind of still looking around and seeing what I want to do. I declared those majors initially because I'm interested in solving the world's problems to help people, and I'm still trying to find the best way to do that. Well, it sounds like you're already going deep. (laughs) I think our conversations might help us both figure some of these things out. I agree. I do too. All right, so let's move on to the topic of our very first podcast. So exciting. So I want to start off with setting the scene a little bit. So Grandpa and I were in Grandpa's office, and on his desk, he has a little bookshelf. It's just one level of books. And on that bookshelf, I happen to see a book called Christ in Crisis. 
And I gotta ask, like, what does a Jewish guy like you care if Christ is in crisis? Like, why would you have a book like that on your shelf? It really isn't quite about that. And it's a good question. I was gifted that book from a woman who goes to our Torah study. I've been going to Torah study at our temple for about 20 years now. We have people in our Torah study who are not Jewish. And that's I really interesting. That's so cool. And I, I don't remember exactly what it is. I know I love this woman who's there and she talks a lot about these things. But there was some discussion that prompted her. I said something and I talk a lot to encourage me to get that book. And I think it's about that book is about the idea that young people are moving away from Christianity or some of the teachings of the church and that the crisis is how to, in fact, maybe this is the perfect point for our discussion, how do generations manage to keep core values and agreements and the like. So, you know, I love that she did that for me. And um, that's how I was like, I'm not afraid to learn and read about other religions. Uh, that's so um, interesting. Because I feel like like people these days, like I feel like people... They don't want to even like interact with people who disagree with them. They only want to talk with people who think exactly the same way as they do. And I don't know. I just feel like that's like that's like really toxic. Like that's not good for people. It's good to talk to other people who are different. You know. Well, I you know I do enjoy it. You know, the, and I guess not everyone does. Well, but you know, I think there's some sort of saying: don't talk about religion or politics. Yeah. So I guess you can talk about art and bowling and golf or things like that. But in community and society, these, for a lot of people, are the important things. And so how can we learn how to talk to it? I don't know if you know, but I hang out with some Hare Krishna folks. I, I did not know that, no. Yeah, what, who are they? Like, what are they all about? Well, Hare Krishna is a faith practice movement. It comes out of, I believe it's India. I'm not an expert in it, so... My forgiveness to Christians who may be listening, and I might be slightly inaccurate about some things, but it's a religion. It is a belief in a Godhead or a God that has many facets and faces. It's based on the Bhagavad Gavita, which I think you've been studying. Yeah, I actually read it for history class last semester. And the gentleman that I've gotten to know, he goes by the name of Yogas Vera, a prominent member, leader in the faith in the United States. And I'm enjoyed meeting some very involved people. I've been to a, a retreat with them. I even was asked to attend a meeting, which I interpreted as a recruitment meeting. Interesting. It was in somebody's home. And I'm confident enough. I really enjoy exploring other things that are different from who I am. Do you see that much in school or around you? Or So the interesting thing is, I don't know, I feel like I kind of, the past year in school, like tried to I like made friends with people who are different than me, but I feel like, like in concept, it's like, oh, I want to make people who are different from me and get to know them. But I feel like if you, they're too different from you, it's hard to like have a basis to like something to actually bond over and like be friends about almost. So I feel like that can pose a difficulty in meeting people who are different from you. So you want them to be different, but like still similar enough to you that you can like still like have things in common. But isn't that in part the challenge of our modern era? So it seems to me because we're experiencing this mainly in the political, but government and, you know, the abortion debate, it's imposing, you have to believe in just like me or you're bad or evil person, or as you're saying, you just don't get along. 
I don't know. Do you run into that in any way? How do you experience that? Well, I had people mention to me that they are pro-life. And honestly, it makes me scared to say anything because I'm worried that if I say something about it, then they're like, oh my gosh, you're so evil. I don't want to be your friend. And it's like, I want to still be friends with you. I don't want this to end up ruining our relationship, our friendship. And it's like, I know that you believe differently than me and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But also... Like, I don't know if you're going to be okay with that. And I don't know if it's something that I want to sacrifice my friendship over. So I feel like not knowing how other people will react if you tell them something, it makes it difficult to have those conversations because you don't want to ruin your friendships over it. So it's so interesting because I can think of two different sets of relationships that one reflects the ability to get along and the other not. Interesting. Tell me about it. So real quick, I you know, I've worked as a senior fellow, you know, part-time in New York at a church that has a mission, has a ministry for social justice. And I've been working with there. And I love the man who, the minister who headed it because he had me, a Jewish man. He had a Jewish woman. He had a Muslim man as well as Christians. And I got to work more closely with those in the Muslim faith. And I've here in our own synagogue, I've been part of a group that meets regularly with uh, Muslims. I'm not afraid to engage with that people, but that has worked very well. Now, on the opposite side, there's a woman I work with here, in the, here being in, in our area where I live, Northern Virginia, and we served on a committee at the hospital as Susan was going through her breast cancer, your grandma, yeah. she, she had somebody in her family, and we work carefully with the hospital and helping them grow their cancer practice. And she thinks I'm almost evil now because of my politics. And I get these nasty emails from her periodically to try to prove herself right. And I don't want to disrupt engaging with her periodically. We have, you know, she knew the same doctor who was, you know, your grandma's doctor. And I don't know how to solve that problem. And I go... So I go from trying to find ways to give her good examples or find shared values and talk only about them to others to be in her face, to get something to say, well, you say, this is a good person. Well, here's what they really are saying or something like that. I know it's non-productive. And yet I, I sometimes... You want to do it. It's well, so I've, done it once do it. I've done it once or twice and then we don't talk for a while. And then she's moved out of town. So it's mainly email, which... Is another oh, problem, which is another yeah. problem. Right? I feel like the difference between the two relationships that you described is that, like, in one of them, everyone is entering, like, for example, in like the group where like you have like Jews and Muslims like meeting up with each other. Everyone's going into that with the knowledge that they're going to be encountering someone who thinks differently from them, and that they're okay with it. Whereas where you just randomly meet someone on like some committee and then you start talking, like you might be walking into it with the idea of I'm going to meet people who think differently from me and that's okay and I'm willing to listen. But, you know, she might not be have that mindset when you just run into someone random that you met on some committee that you worked on that was about something random almost. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand fully. I mean, there are people who I consider of good faith and are willing to live in a world where there are honest differences. And those who think they know what's right and wrong Imagine evils behind corner. Now, the truth is, there is evil in the world, and we have to work hard to distinguish it. We also have to 
rely, in my opinion, this is a lawyer and me, <laughs> on systems and on a civil and democratic government to keep everybody safe. When it is a matter of personal values and faith and religion and style, these are things that we should allow and provide for autonomy. And, you know, the diversity in our society is what makes it so colorful and robust. And I worry that there is both imagined differences, fears, and then there are those who, out of desire for power and control and wealth, try to impose. You know, history tells us that there are those people. Yeah. And we need to understand that. I think the American history has both its frailties, including the Civil War, and times where we've come together and you know, I love our community. I love our our city and our area. And I like that there are churches and I like that there are people who disagree, who live differently. Rather than disagree, live differently than I do. And I think, you know, this is the exact kind of thing that I hope we can explore, but I'm very interested. So right now, today, you and I seem to agree on this. So maybe there aren't huge generational differences. <laughs> well, I, I feel like it's hard... Because if you truly believe that what you believe, whether it's your religion or your politics, is like truly the right thing, like why would you? Like we want to make a civil society, and if you believe that that's what is what you believe is necessary to have a civil society, you would want to put that into law. I feel like for some people, it's hard for them to imagine that there are different ways of living, and that to live differently can be okay. And like it's like how do you convince someone that like what you've believed so forcefully your whole life? isn't the only right way to be or isn't the only truly right thing. I feel like this brings us back to the issue of abortion. Like people truly believe that a fetus is a life. And it's like, what can I say to convince you that it's not? Like, I don't know what there is to do to convince you that you're not right other than that I don't think it is. Like, is there any way to prove? I feel like when it comes to issues of religion, religion almost I feel exists to prove, to give us answers to the things that don't really have a definitive legitimate scientific answer and that's what belief is it, and yeah i feel like it's how do you convince someone else to believe that well, the, their thing isn't totally right well know. so you take it out of religion right that's what we've attempted to do and take the religion out of politics well well what is politics about community what is the world you imagine to live in and do you live in a diverse world or do you live in communities of sameness. You know, Judaism isn't foreign to that. There were these, particularly early on in Europe, not early on, but for generations in Europe, there were ghettos in areas that were excluded. We didn't, Jews did not intermingle. Now, sometimes it was because of anti-Semitism. A lot of times they didn't want to be tempted. Now, there is this idea in Judaism that you don't do things that are benign, that is, there's nothing wrong. For example, if you set a table in your home and you put out non-dairy creamer with meat and you're kosher, you're not supposed to mix milk and meat. Then but it'd it's be non-dairy milk. But if you put non-dairy milk out there, it would create the impression that you're doing that you could do that, it, that you could have milk. And so you don't do something that might tempt or create. Others, it, it's pretty deep. I'm reminded of 
one thing that I think might be, oh, I have a story. Maybe it's a good All right, I'm listening. to get set for our next conversation. All right. I was in, at Hebrew Union College, and a very revered teacher told the story of how he was at a conference in Chicago once, and he was really one of the most prominent Jewish scholars in America. Yeah. And he was sitting next to one of the most prominent evangelical scholars in America. Okay. And the evangelical scholar turned to him and said, I love you, and you are important to me. And he said, why? And the Jewish man, Scott, said, why? He said, because I'm taught that my purpose in life is to convert you. And that my, sal- oh my God. that my salvation is dependent on me convincing you that Christ is Lord. And, you know, what's interesting is he didn't have to kill him to achieve his goal. He had to try to persuade him. And that isn't necessarily bad. Is or is not? Is not. If it is persuasion, if it's argument, so, if it's yes. convincing. There's nothing wrong with being persuaded. It's not illegal. It's not illegal and... You know, ultimately, it's how you learn. Now, you know, again, this gets us another issue I'm sure we're going to talk about. In fact, I thought maybe this could be the first one. I was interested in what you were thinking about this discussion that goes on right near where we live of what you're going to have in the schools. That actually raises a really interesting point. I have a friend who's evangelical, and she told me the story about when she was in third grade. At the beginning of the year, their teacher had all the kids write down, like, what are your goals for this year? And... My friend, she wrote down at the time, she wrote down something along the lines of like, like tell everyone about Je- how awesome Jesus is, something like that. And the teacher saw that and crossed it out. It's like, maybe we should do something else. And instead, her parents got very mad. And it was, apparently, it's a whole situation. And I was thinking like, I don't know, I would have hated her if I was in third grade in her third grade class, because she would have probably made me really uncomfortable, probably would have made me feel bad for being who I am. And I feel like it raises the question of your faith says... To convert other people, but does that infringe upon my right to simply exist as a Jewish student in school? You have your belief and keep that inside of you, and I have my belief and I keep that inside of me. I don't try to tell you that what you're believing is wrong. Like it was a very interesting question. It was a, it was a very interesting thing that it, it really sparked my what, what sparked my thoughts. Like your religion says to convert people, but should that be happening on school grounds? Does that infringe upon my ability to exist as a Jewish student? What are your thoughts on that? So isn't that really about how you do that and how it happens? And I think that there's good reason to keep religion out of public schools. Because there is separation of church and state. Because there is separation of church and state. And there is good judgment about when these discussions and how they can happen. I'm not worried about you being exposed to ideas. Yes question is the context and whether you feel pressured and whether, you know... At what point does persuasion become harassment? In coercion. Yes. And not even harassment, but just coercion where you feel that, and, you know, it's not, and someone telling you that you're going to live a second life in hell or a, a place that and burn and suffer for eternity if you don't agree with them. They may believe that, but you need to be at a certain, you need to be able to understand and assess that there are those who disagree and other reasons not to be involved. Hiding ideas because they can be scary, I think all depends on how they're taught and 
ultimately giving people the ability to do it properly. I think the issue that you, you, you're bringing up, if you do it in a context that either has some higher authority behind it, so if you're doing it in school, or if a teacher were saying these things, if you were surrounded by 10 Christians and no other Jews, and they were all, and there you want to be your only friends, and you're harassed, it can be, you know, it can be wrong for that to happen that way. The American idea of diversity and living in peace together with differences is a relatively new idea in the world, and it's not easy. It's absolutely not easy. Maybe for some Americans who don't think that that's a good American idea. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna keep going deep, aren't we, Emily? Certainly, certainly. And, and Talking uh, real deep. And I hope we get other people willing to join us and us comments. And I think some days we might end up having some guests that might provoke us because clearly I'm always right. <laughs> Am I right? I don't know about always. We'll see. That stands to be seen. <laughs> Stick around and you'll find out. <laughs> you can find out for yourself. <laughs>